time of, there we go. <laughs> Just got to yell into it sometimes, get it, get it to wake up. Sorry about that, everybody. It was the time of the divided kingdom. Jeroboam II ruled the northern kingdom, the kingdom known as Israel. And in those days, the Assyrian Empire was the world power. They were sweeping down from the north, snatching up lands and peoples wherever they pleased. And Israel was next in line, next in line to receive the imprint of Assyrian boots on their back. But in the days of Jeroboam II, Assyria became occupied with other matters, and a prophet named Jonah, the son of Amittai, prophesied to Jeroboam that he would have success in battle if he went out, that he would recapture lands that hadn't been held by Israel since the days of David and Solomon. And so the king did, as Jonah prophesied, and the word of the Lord proved true. Perhaps the tide was turning. Perhaps Israel's God was going to fight for them. Perhaps he would raise up the armies of Israel with new strength. Who knows? Maybe God would even lead Israel into conquest, conquering the great cities of Assyria one by one, Hamath, Arpad, Carchemish, Ashur, maybe even as far as Nineveh, clear on the other side of the Tigris River, present-day Baghdad some 500 miles to the northeast of Israel. So it was in these days of victory that, as Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 tells us, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, telling him, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, from what I've just told you, you might think this would be good news for Jonah, right? You prophesied Israel's victory in Syria. Now you get to be the one who tells the Assyrians that God is fed up with their wicked ways and he's coming to judge them. But Jonah's not excited about this mission. If you look at verse 3, you find out that Jonah actually runs away from this mission. Now, why would he do that? Well, because this wasn't the only word of the Lord that Jonah had heard. When Jonah hears this message from the Lord, it takes him back to his days in uh, Sunday school. I guess it would be Sabbath school for them, not Sunday. When he was studying the books of Moses, he remembers how God described himself to Moses in Exodus 34, verse 6. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Jonah knew that passage. He quotes it in the fourth chapter of this book. So Jonah knew that God was going to forgive the Ninevites, the Assyrians. And so he runs away from this mission. I mean, you can imagine, right? If the president of the Ukraine told one of his diplomats to go to Russia and say, hey, we forgive you for invading our country and for killing our people, no big deal. Is that what the suffering Ukrainians want to hear? No, they want Russia to be defeated. They want Russia to be punished. They want Russia to be destroyed, not forgiven. 
And so Jonah is like that diplomat. He knows that God will show mercy to the Ninevites, and he knows that no one in Israel wants that, and perhaps even Jonah himself doesn't want that. It could also be that Jonah remembers some other words from the books of Moses, from Deuteronomy 32, which says, God speaks to Israel, Israel forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. And he said, they have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. See, Jonah knows that if God is sending his gospel of mercy and forgiveness to a foreign nation, to Gentiles, to, Israelites, to the Israelites' enemies even, then it is because God's own people have rejected him. Jonah knows the northern kingdom has worshipped false gods. If God is going to the Gentiles, it means Israel is about to be judged. So, forgiveness to Israel's enemies and judgment for Israel. Jonah doesn't like either of those things. He knows no one in Israel is going to like either of those things, so he runs away. And that starts Jonah on this downward trajectory that's very obvious even in the geography of his journey. Look at verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So already we see Jonah going down and down, and we'll see the further he goes from the will and presence of God, the deeper down Jonah goes too, until he finds himself in the deepest darkness of the sea and the valley of the shadow of death. But Jonah goes down to Joppa and then down into the ship. And then we get verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. It's interesting that in the storm... The Gentile sailors are, are crying out to their gods, but Jonah, the prophet of the Lord, is deep in the heart of the ship, fast asleep. His descent from the presence of God puts him into a death-like sleep. He is dead to the world. It's as if the ship has become his tomb. And it's about to become the tomb for everyone else on board as well. So they try throwing cargo overboard to lighten the ship, and that doesn't work. Their only hope now is divine intervention, and for that they need all hands on deck. So look at verse 6. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, 
and I fear the Lord. Now, when your Bible has Lord in all capital letters, that's your Bible's way of rendering the Hebrew name of God, Yahweh. So if I say Yahweh sometimes, that's what we're talking about. Jonah says, I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of Yahweh because he had told them. Now, like all peoples of the ancient world, these sailors believed there were many gods. Uh, every nation had their own pantheon of gods. Every city had its own god. And even if you didn't worship everyone else's gods, you believed they were real, and you knew that bad things were going to happen to you if you offended them. So you can see that in these soldiers' questions. Somebody's done something to offend some god somewhere. Let's figure it out. Jonah has offended one of the gods. He says it's the god the Hebrews worship, Yahweh. And Jonah says he has power over the sea. Verse 11, Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Now, the sailors don't like that plan. Killing his prophet doesn't seem like the best way to appease the wrath of this God. And so there's irony here. There's irony because Israel is always killing the prophets that God sends to them. And yet here you have these Gentile sailors who fear Yahweh more than his own people and don't want to kill his prophet. Verse 13 the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to Yahweh, O oh, Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O oh, Yahweh, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And so Jonah goes down yet again thrown into the raging sea. And we'll talk more about Jonah in just a moment, but don't gloss over verse 16, which says, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Again, you're supposed to see all kinds of irony in this story. Here, the Israelite, the supposed man of God, the prophet Jonah, he runs away from God. But the pagan sailors, who didn't know anything about Yahweh 20 minutes ago, they see what happens and they say, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? They know that they have encountered the sovereign Lord of all creation, and they give their lives to him. Jonah fled from the Lord because he did not want the Gentile Assyrians to be converted to the worship of Yahweh. And despite Jonah's best efforts, God just used him to convert a boatload of Gentiles, literally. So what does this teach us? God is going to accomplish his purpose despite his people's rebellion. God is going to accomplish his purpose despite his people's rebellion. You can be on board with God's plan of redemption, or you can jump ship, but Yahweh will accomplish his purpose through you either way. 
Now, this is probably a good place to point out that the book of Jonah is not written for Jonah's benefit, right? No, the book of Jonah was written for the people of Israel to teach them how God was working in their day. In this story, Jonah represents Israel itself. Just as we saw with the book of Ruth, the book of Jonah tells the story of Israel. So think about it for a moment. Just like Jonah, Israel has been faithful in the past. They have seen God honor his word. They've seen him deliver them from their oppressors in the past. But just like Jonah, now Israel has rebelled against her Lord. Just as God had called Jonah to bring his word to the Ninevites, so God had called Israel to be a light to the nations, to disciple and teach the nations in the fear and worship of the Lord. But, just like Jonah, Israel had run away from that calling, taking on, uh, they had become like the nations, instead of helping the nations come to know Yahweh, taking on their gods, taking on their practices, taking on their sins. And so Israel was going down, 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 further and further from the presence of God. So the book of Jonah is teaching Israel God is going to accomplish his purpose for the nations. He calls you to play a part in that mission and to find your joy in that mission, but he doesn't need your help to accomplish the mission. And so if you instead choose to rebel against God and subvert his mission, know that it will be your downfall. You will be cast out. You will be exiled. You will be thrown from the boat. But still, God is going to use you to accomplish his purposes. He will use your downfall as his means of converting the nations. He will use your rejection as an opportunity to receive others. So Jonah is cast out that these pagan sailors might be brought in. Jonah sinks into the sea so that the ship might be saved. This story is teaching Israel that one way or another, God will use them to bring the nations to himself. Now we're going to talk more about the conversion of the nations next Sunday and the rest of the book of Jonah. But let's get back to Jonah himself. He's gone down to Joppa. He's gone down to the ship, down into the inner part of the ship. And now he's been hurled into the sea and down, down into the depths. You have to understand that in the ancient world, especially for the Israelites, the sea is seen as a chaotic and unending abyss of darkness with primordial monsters and certain death awaits. There are no life preservers. There is no coast guard. Jonah is a bookworm prophet, not a skilled swimmer. So when Jonah goes over the side of the boat and tells the men to throw him over the side of the boat, best case scenario is a torturous but relatively quick death by drowning. And perhaps that's what Jonah expected because he had rebelled against God and he knew it. He had disobeyed God's word. He had rejected God's calling. But remember, God is gracious and merciful slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. We see that in verse 17. 
And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, skeptics will ask how a man could survive, let alone breathe, trapped inside a fish for three days, no matter how big that fish was. I guess you could say they find this fish story hard to swallow. But the author of Jonah doesn't seem too concerned with the mechanics of the situation. He seems to have a deeper purpose with this fish. God is at work here, and the author is trying to show us something deeper than just Jonah in a fish. So let's remember what we said earlier. The story of Jonah is the story of Israel. And who was the big fish threatening to swallow Israel in Jonah's day? It was the Assyrian Empire, wasn't it, from which the people of Nineveh come? So add to that what we already know of the symbolic language of the Bible, in which Israel is always associated with the land and Gentiles with the raging sea. As in Isaiah 17, verse 12, Ah, the thunder of many peoples, they thunder like the thundering of the sea. Ah, the roar of nations, they roar like the roaring of mighty waters. These Gentile empires are always pictured as, as uh, waves of the sea coming in and crashing on Israel. In other places, the Gentile empires are compared to great sea beasts like Leviathan and Rahab. They come to devour Israel. So could this fish swallowing Jonah be an enacted prophecy for the people of Israel? Could this show Israel that just as God appointed a fish to swallow unfaithful Jonah, so God had appointed the Assyrian Empire to swallow up unfaithful Israel? That makes a lot of sense to me. It certainly fits with the Bible's account of Israel's history at this time because Israel is about to go into exile. Within only a generation of Jonah, the Assyrians will conquer Israel, and they will take her people into exile, deporting them to the far corners of the earth. A hundred years after that, an even bigger fish, the Babylonian Empire, will come and swallow Assyria, and then they will swim further south to swallow the kingdom of Judah as well. And so the prophets warn, all God's people will be swallowed by the sea beast. All Israel will be going into exile. Exile in the belly of the beast. And that exile of Israel is prophesied here in Jonah's three days and three nights in the belly of this fish. And chapter 2, verse 1 tells us, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Remember, we saw the sailors praying to their gods. We saw them plead with Jonah to pray to his God, but we never saw Jonah actually pray until now. In the putrid stench, in the slimy muck, in the pitch black of the belly of the beast, Jonah prays. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. No, Sheol is not the fish's name. Sheol is the Hebrew word for the land of the dead, for the grave, the place where all people go when they die. They called that Sheol. But I thought Jonah was in the belly of a fish. Why does he say he's in the belly of Sheol? 
Because being swallowed by this fish is a death-like experience for Jonah. It's not unlike when he was asleep in the deepest hole of the ship. In the fish, Jonah is cut off from the land of the living. He is trapped in a place of deep darkness and fear, what the 23rd Psalm calls the valley of the shadow of death. Do you know this valley? You can be alive but feel as though you're dead. You can be buried in the grave while you walk the earth. You can suffer living hell, shale on earth. I'm not talking about death itself. I'm talking about good as. I'm talking about waking death. I'm talking about the suffering that makes you envy the dead. I've been there. Lots of you have been there. If you haven't yet, you will someday. I know it's hard to talk about. We're bad at suffering. We weren't meant for it. But thank God, the Bible doesn't ignore it or sugarcoat it. The Bible is filled with songs like this. Songs of lament. Lament in the shadow of death. And that's where Jonah is. He's still alive, but he's in the belly of shale. He's in the guts of the grave. And listen to him describe it. Maybe you know this place. For you cast me into the deep into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Do you know that feeling? Like you're so far away from God that he can't even see you. And then you get this brief gasp of air. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. And then he plunges right back down to this harrowing image of drowning. Verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Sheol, hell on earth, utter despair. But it is not the last word. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. The story of Jonah is the story of Israel. For her rebellion, Israel is going into the belly of the beast. They are going into exile. It will be a literal death for many Israelites. It will be good as for many others. They will know the belly of Sheol and they will sing psalms in the valley of the shadow of death. They will sing the song of Jonah. And the Lord will hear their prayer as he heard Jonah's. And eventually this is what happens. God causes the great fish of the Gentile empire to spit them out upon the land. In 538 B.C., God spoke 
to the Persian king Cyrus, and he gave a decree that all the Jews could return to their land, that they could rebuild and again look upon God's holy temple and inhabit their cities once again. The story of Jonah is the story of Israel. And it is a story of rebellion, exile, and return. It is a story of sin, death, and resurrection. The story of Jonah is the story of Israel. And the story of Israel is the story of the true Israelite, Jesus the Messiah. During his earthly ministry, Jesus told the people, something greater than Jonah is here. And we can see the story of Jesus as a greater fulfillment of this story of Jonah. Jonah fled from the call of the Lord, but Jesus was perfectly obedient to his Father's will, no matter the cost. And yet he chose to be counted among the sinners and the rebels. Jonah and Jesus have this in common. Both were found sleeping in the bottom of a boat as a storm raged around them. The difference is that in the story of Jonah, it was God who calmed the wind and the waves. But when Jesus was caught in the storm, he was the one who awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Because Jesus is not only a great prophet and a man of God, Jesus is both God and man. Jonah was hurled into the sea that the ship might be saved. Jesus could still the sea. Jesus could walk on water. And yet, when the fullness of time came, Jesus too had to be hurled into the sea that the ship might be saved. Jesus had to be cast out, cut off, crucified, not for any unfaithfulness in him, but because we were sinners and we needed someone to throw over in our place to satisfy the justice of God. We needed a sacrifice to quell the storm of wrath stirred up by our sin. Jonah was swallowed by the fish. Israel was swallowed by Assyria. And Jesus was swallowed up by the religious and political leaders of Jerusalem. They were perfectly willing to let his innocent blood lay on their heads. Because Israel always kills the prophets God sends to them. And so they sacrificed Jesus. Jonah sang from the belly of Sheol. A death-like experience had come upon him. But as far down as Jonah went, he did not actually die. The Lord heard his song in the darkness and brought up his life from the pit. In the darkness and bloody gore of the cross, Jesus sang psalms to his father too. But the Father allowed his beloved Son to be cast into the heart of the seas. He allowed the flood of wrath that we deserved to surround his Son, its waves and billows passing over him. As Jonah sang of the weeds wrapped around his head at the roots of the mountains, so Jesus wore a crown of thorns wrapped around his head as he was nailed to the cross. And the father allowed his son to die. Jonah compared the belly of the fish to Sheol, but Jesus actually went to Sheol, the land of the dead. As we confess in the creed when we say he descended into hell, we're saying he went to the place of the dead. 
Jesus was shown to be a true prophet, for he had said, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so, like Jonah, Jesus went down to the land whose bars close upon the dead forever. But Jesus, the greater Jonah, is also the key of David. He is the only one who can open the gates of the grave. For the father heard the cries of his son from the belly of Sheol, and he raised Jesus from the dead. Not metaphorically, as with Jonah, the father literally brought up Jesus' life from the pit. He made Jesus the firstborn from the dead, the first and only man who has gone down to Sheol and come back up alive, new and glorified in transformed humanity, free from death and decay, never to die again. Because salvation belongs to the Lord. From the book of Jonah, Israel was to learn that if they put their trust in God, he would protect them in the belly of Assyria and Babylon. He would preserve them through the exile. These were not monsters come to devour them. These were protectors, preserving their life in the midst of God's judgment. And God promised through the story of Jonah that he would bring his people back to the land. As we read the gospel of Jesus, as we see that something greater than Jonah is here, we too are called to trust God in the midst of our own exile. We are called to sing the salvation of the Lord in the raging storm, in the belly of the beast, when we face the deepest darkness and the valley of the shadow of death. We are to trust that though we are cast into the depths of suffering and death, our God is gracious and merciful. He hears our psalms of lament. And we are to trust that in the fullness of time, he will bring our life up from the pit. As the Father has delivered his Son from the grave, so he will one day deliver us and raise us up. The sea will give up the dead who are in it. Death and Hades will give up the dead who are in them. And those who trust in Christ will be resurrected and glorified as he is. Our Lord was cast out that we might be brought in. He was condemned that we might be saved. And so we sing with Jonah, salvation belongs to the Lord. Let us pray. Jesus Christ, new and greater Jonah, thank you for fulfilling the Father's will. You were thrown to the raging sea so that we might be saved. You were raised from the grave so that we too might rise. Teach us to trust you in the belly of the beast, to offer to you our songs of lament, and to depend upon you and on you alone for our salvation. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.